Hello and welcome back to the show. We've made it. It's episode 10. Wow, wow, wow. The crowd goes crazy. <laughs> I mean, let me stop that. But yeah, today we'll be speaking with Dr. Nilesh Satguru, who is a self-mastery coach and compassion expert. Nilesh spent over a decade practicing medicine and training with world-leading coaches, and he now helps entrepreneurs awaken true success with compassion. In today's episode, expect to learn what compassion is and why it is your secret superpower, how to resign the tasteful way, or at least with some style, steps on how to find your purpose, the connection between science and spirituality, especially in coaching, how to identify and overcome your limiting beliefs, and so much more. So, without further ado, let's get to the show. doctor mm-hmm. also a coach because you can see things from different angles and different lens but also like you as a person what comes first being a doctor or being a coach would you say well it's a good story because you know for 11 years of my life being a doctor was everything I did and then I started to pare it down when I started to discover my burning desire for what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And so I am literally in the process of handing my medical license in and I'm full, full-time full entrepreneurship. Oh, wow. Which has been just the most amazing journey. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm very blessed to, to do it. Yeah. It's amazing because um, when you were studying medicine, mm. that is not an easy process. Mm. And you just mentioned you're about to hand in your medical license. So, I mean, were you always sure, certain that you wanted to be a doctor in the first place? Or would you rather done something different, would you say? You know, now when I look back, the breadcrumbs of my past will always direct me to what I was doing now. But from a really young age, my grandma was a doctor mm-hmm. and she really inspired me. She was a psychiatrist. And people used to say, Nilesh, you've got a caring side. And so I was into science. My parents were into science. And as a lot of people do, Asian background caring element with the science I'll go be a doctor and I did absolutely love it was all I was focused on well right until recently basically but if I look back actually I always had the buzz for entrepreneurship in me mm-hmm. my uncle was an entrepreneur my brother's an entrepreneur my mum was an entrepreneur my grandfather was an entrepreneur and they they I, I, I found myself loving stories of entrepreneurs loving hearing people set up businesses and do good in the world and and even from seven, eight years old, I had these little projects going on, uh, you know, whether it was running the school assemblies or selling clothes out of my room when I was at boarding school. Yeah. I always had something like this going on. So the time came as I got deeper and deeper into medicine. I started to realize that I really wasn't able to transform people in the way that I wanted to. And that kind of led me on this windy road to what I'm doing now. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? Transform them how you wanted them to? Because yeah. as a medical doctor, if you're fixing someone, you're fixing them. That's, that's, that's a mm. lot. So like, what do you feel was missing? Yeah. Well, you know, I think we go into medicine to help people. Mm-hmm. And medical care is phenomenal for a specific subset of people. So conventional medicine was really great at helping people who are acutely unwell or people that had, you know, very specific illnesses that you could treat. 
And I found roughly that was about one in five people that I was seeing as a GP that would come in that I could actually make better. Mm -hmm. And I was always, yeah, I me, mean, I was always really interested in what happened after they got better. So who's this person? And maybe it's a, a banker that's come in and can no longer go to work, or maybe it's someone who, an entrepreneur, maybe it's a mum and they can't care for their kids because they've been sick. That was the bit that, looking back, really inspired me to hear how they had got better and then transformed their life moving forward. So I suppose then I started to look for alternative routes within medicine because um, I was quite frustrated and stressed at the fact that I can make these people better. And that's when I found lifestyle medicine, mm -hmm. which is how you and I connected as well. And for anyone who doesn't know lifestyle medicine, it's a specialty that looks to prevent, treat and reverse chronic conditions through lifestyle change. And so that's when things start to get really interesting. So talk to me more about um, being a GP rather than working in a hospital in the first place. Like, what was your decision behind that? So a common theme for me was that if I look back, I've been intuitive for a long time in my life. And I remember, I, I knew I wanted to go do medicine. I remember when I started working in the hospital, I just knew I, I, just, I don't want to work in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. I loved the, the learnings, the teachings. I loved, and it makes so much sense now because I, I know what I love. Uh, but back then I just knew I really didn't want to work in a hospital and I really loved having conversations and speaking to people. Yeah. And even then I was interested in psychology and the mind. And so I naturally found general practice and I excelled at it. I, yeah. I, I, I was, was, it was my thing. I loved it. And a lot of people kind of go into it by default, but I was like, that was my uh, expertise and specialism. And yeah, being a GP was an, a real privilege mm -hmm. because the most fascinating thing is within seconds, you hear intimate details about everybody's lives. You have integrity and trust and you get, you know, a window into literally thousands of people's stories. And you know what I found listening to thousand people's stories is that actually we, we're all incredibly similar. Yeah. I had the chance to work with people who are, who are homeless, mums, um, kids, elderly people, lords and ladies. When I worked as a private GP, I would go out to like lords and ladies houses, high performers. We're actually incredibly similar. And so this is why, you know, I, I, I in the work I do now, uh, because I had the privilege of speaking to so many people, I'd not as, uh, that's, my, that's my comfort zone now, no matter who it is, where in the world they're from or what cultures or background. Mm -hmm. That's amazing, that's amazing. Yeah, you're so right. Um, it's that personal connection and the story. Yeah. I, it's good that that element still exists to some sense um, with everything becoming digital like the opportunity to try and get an in-person appointment with the doctor, like even myself, I think I had my first GP appointment two months, two months ago. Mm. And that's probably my first appointment in like 10 years. <laughs> um, and you know what, surprisingly, I was quite shocked how easy it was for me to get an appointment. Like it wasn't as bad as people expected in terms of like waiting, like it was actually quite straightforward. Um, and it was a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think if there's more opportunity to have a, sit down with your GP and understand for them to know more about your life. Like I wish I had a GP such as yourself mm -hmm. where they can get more intimate details about myself, not because I'm sick, but just generally. And then they can have like a perspective of what else I can do in terms of 360. I feel that kind of GP partnership with the lifestyle medicine oh, yeah. you mentioned, like it should be actual type of aftercare service. Uh, absolutely. You know, and it, so what made me kind of look for alternate routes is 
I remember it so well. Just to put this into perspective, I went and I found my dream job, mm-hmm. like completely luckily. My friends saw an advert in the paper. I used to drive through this little leafy village. I used to dream of being a GP there. Ended up getting this job. And then I realized that there was this long routine wait to see a doctor at the surgery. And so I took it upon myself being naive and fresh and enthusiastic to try and reduce the waiting time, which was 33 days at the time, routinely to see a doctor. And so I went through this period of quite intense stress. And I remember seeing one patient and they were an entrepreneur. They came in and basically I didn't treat them as a person. Mm. I only treated them as, right, this person has symptoms. I'm going to treat their symptoms, get the diagnosis right. So I I referred them to an emergency service. My diagnosis was was correct, but they wrote this patient complaint. And I remember being so stressed reading it and really went into a period of deep reflection. I was basically uncompassionate with that patient. And when I read the complaint, I was really uncompassionate with myself. And so that was the time when I really understood this quote from Hippocrates, which is just such a good one, which is it's far more important to know what kind of person has the disease than what kind of disease the person has. Mm-hmm. So that completely transformed that, my mind. That, think, that, so it's, it's all about the person that's in front of you. And this, this applies not just, you know, for medicine. People forget, you know, if you're in business, if you're in um, whatever it is that you want in this life, we need people. And it's all about how we deal with people. Who is this person? What's their story? Where do they come from? What do they do day to day? Whether you're doing a business deal or you're seeing someone as a, a doctor or a patient or you're meeting up with your friends, you will go so far if you can compassionately connect with people. And they go, you know what? This doctor gets me or this person gets me. And so everything changed from then, from that complaint. And then that led me into lifestyle medicine. Mm-hmm. And again, I found there that behavioral change is where it's at. Mm-hmm. Right? So our health depends on our daily habits. I start to see crazy things happen like anxiety of 10 years be reversed, diabetes be reversed, heart disease get better, you know, all these things through, through daily habit changes. But habits are hard, right? Yeah. And why are they hard? Because we're stressed. And so why are we stressed? Well, because we're disconnected from who we really are. And that's where compassion came in again. So compassion came in when I was in conventional medicine, then when I went into lifestyle medicine, it came in. And then there's one other story about occupational medicine. It just, my, my purpose kept poking me pretty hard in the face. Like, you need to know about this. You need to learn about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the that, that, path I'm on. I could share the occupational health story as well if you want. Yeah, go for it. Because yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it all makes sense. So when, when I left my practice as a GP. Which we're going to go back to. Yeah. Right. I went... And decided my friend, he was, he was working with companies on their employees' well-being. And I thought, that sounds really cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. You remember, I was fascinated with business. So I went in and I would see these employees who had been off sick from work for a long time. And with one particular guy, he was off for a while. And he was being treated so harshly, so uncompassionately. Mm-hmm. He was being judged and ridiculed. And I thought, this is cra- like this is not how to treat someone. This is crazy. And at that moment, again, the idea came in my head. Well, what happens? I was coaching him almost before I had any coaching diplomas or qualifications. And I thought, what if I work with his bosses? 
on how to be with people, how to be kind, how to be compassionate, how to be understanding. And that's essentially what I do now. Like that's how that idea was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this, you know, people think it's like one moment, one linear journey. <laughs> it never is. Yeah. It never is. So when you, because even when you quit your practice, because at the time you was a partner. That's right, right? yeah. So, um, I mean, talk to me a little bit more about that journey to becoming a partner, because to become a partner, um, it comes with a lot of status. It comes with right. money. It comes with the ability to say, I've made it, especially at a young age, because you were in your, what, mid-20? Right, yeah, I was 27. Um, and then to essentially put that aside to change. Um yeah, talk to me a bit about your, your journey there. Yeah, so fun, uh, you know, I didn't realise it because if you're, you're a bit like me, like entrepreneurs, they're kind of fast moving and sometimes we don't notice mm-hmm. what's been going on. But I would go to parties at 27. I had, uh, I, you know, I got married. We had our first baby. I got this GP partnership, which is, the, you know, essentially that is the career progression that most people are going for very fortuitously very luckily and people would say you've got it all right now Mm. and in my head i think it doesn't feel like it like this is it feels good but it doesn't feel like i've got it all and the gp partnership thing i went to go and interview for this surgery which was one of my dream surgeries for a temporary position and I was probably a little bit into personal development than people skills, et cetera. And they somehow just completely randomly, they said, no, no, we want you to buy into the practice. <laughs> so there Forget I was. The temp stuff. Come in. <laughs> there I was like 27 and there was about eight weeks. I had to do my due, gil- due diligence. Uh, I took some business advice from my brother and various people and you know, I had this voice in my back of my head. It's like, this is either going to make you or break you. I thought, let's go for it. You know, uh, if it doesn't work out, I will learn so much. And I, and boy, did I learn a lot. <laughs> uh, so I took, I took it. I took the, the role, thoroughly enjoyed it, made some friends for life, learned a lot. However, I signed some documents and it said basically that uh, I'll have a job for the next 38 years or unless I die or I, um, or, or some, I do something really awful, <laughs> you know, like against my medical, uh, register. And so when I had this inkling, this isn't for me, there was that image in my mind of signing this document of like, you know, I'm committed. I've got security of great income, great people, uh, you know, on, on all accounts, a good job but it wasn't right for me. I mean, it, was, it was time to move on at that time. So at that time when you were feeling, so was it like a, a burning desire that, like what was that feeling of it not being right for you? Yeah. Like how would you describe it? Looking back, I was very stressed at that time. I didn't realize it, but here are the telltale signs, okay? So people ask you, how are you? You say, yeah, I'm good, man. Like, But the telltale signs with that, I would feel drained on a Friday evening, completely fall asleep on the couch. Now, anyone that knows me, I'm a very energetic guy. So that, that says something. I would um, sometimes be so angry at work that I couldn't serve people in the way that I wanted. You know, I might have punched the desk or I might have thrown something at the wall. No one saw this, right? I can be vulnerable and say this now because that, that's the truth. And 
my emotions always knew that no this this isn't right for you this this is time to move on having said that I didn't hate the job by any means it was a good job I love the people there it was a great opportunity the feeling then came when I realized that what I really desired was transformation whether it was transforming the surgery's appointment system transforming my patients transforming myself and when I, I realized you know what I need to stop fighting against and trying to change everyone else and I need to do that for myself and I realized at that point that that was going to be very difficult for me to do whilst working in this role yeah so without any idea of what I was really going to do next I made a decision in my head I'm going to leave but I didn't tell anyone why was that because I didn't know what I was going to do next and this is important, right? I mean, some sometimes it's easy to just do a big, you know, F you and just r resign. But also it's important to be a bit wise about it as well. You never want to leave with a bad taste in your mouth. You never want to do that. You, you want to make sure if you do leave anything that you give the best that you possibly can, that people see you in a, in a good space, in a high space. And so I made a decision in my head and then I thought, right, what's the one common factor I have with the partners? It's the patients. So the next three to four months, I served the patients like no, never before. I like gave my best doctoring. I got great results. And there was a vibe. I was receiving loads of great feedback from patients. And there was a vibe going around. So when I handed in, I also lined up another job. So when I handed in my resignation, it wasn't this place is awful. It's that Nilesh has found a new opportunity and we're going to support him. And all of my uh, partners came to my house. Wow. We had a beautiful dinner. And even the, one of my enemies, because I had disputes, they came around and they wrote me this card which said, whatever you'll do, you'll be a great success. I was like, wow, that... And so that's my recommendation. If anyone's going to leave anything, never forget the people you're working with. Never forget what they're going through and do your best always. Yeah, that's a, that's a touching story. I didn't know that part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there were some serious bust ups between me and this person back then. Seriously, yeah, this is before I got into compassion and meditation. I mean, I got up in a boardroom and basically, you know, pointed. You? It. Yeah, man, I, <laughs> and you know, I I I was like, no, I don't want. I was I was very different back then. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. And you know, and I apologize. I can talk about this now, and you know, if that person listens, they'll know, and we'll laugh together. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it, it is another thing is that sometimes it's really easy to forget how far you've come. Yeah. You compare your journey to other people's. And so it's great doing this to realize, no, I was quite, you know, angry, hot headed. I would offend people, maybe judge, etc. And, you know, I can say that God, I've come a long way since then. Now, I've always, there's always more in the journey, but I've come a long way since then. That's, that's for sure. That's amazing. You need to reflect on <laughs> like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then was it, e was it easy to get out of the agreement as well because of like signing the deadline? They were Yeah, cool, it's fine because right? there's, you know, always resignation clauses, which is not a problem. Okay, as long fair. as you need to give a notice period. Uh, so that wasn't a big deal. It was more the mental thing of yeah. I'm giving up 38 years of job security yeah. where I knew I was blessed to have a you know, fantastic setup. And yeah, you're right. The status that came with that, let's not forget, my dad always wanted to be a doctor. I'm from an Asian background, Asian heritage. Being a doctor is like one of the highest status symbols. And so I remember telling my dad and he just couldn't fathom it back then. 
he did with time. And my mum was brilliant. She's more forward thinking. But yeah, it was a it was a thing of okay. So what what's uh, what's he gonna be then? What's and then you realize that life isn't about awards, rewards, and titles. It's about something much deeper than that. Love that, love that. So the next thing you did was that the occupational health. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so as you were doing occupational health, how was what was that experience? Did you feel like you'd done the right thing? Or were you so, still like on the fence? you know, as there's always a honeymoon period, isn't there, where you you leave and you think, this is amazing, you know, I've got more time, I do this. And it was good and I did enjoy, I really loved certain aspects of it. But guess what? And this is the quote, I'll say the quote after this. Same kind of thing started to happen. Um, I, so when I left the GP partnership, I basically became like a medical entrepreneur. Okay. You call it locoming, where I had one regular gig and then I was picking up lots of other little bits of work. Um, but in the occupational medicine, I would do things like I would delay going to get the patient in. Let's say the patient was half an hour early. I would do anything I could to just wait right to the appointment time and then get them in. Telltale signs, right? That you're not, and right now in my work, no way would I do if a person's there and bring them in. Oh, I love, I love what I do so much now that like, it's like, and so it's subtle, right? It was nothing wrong with the job. It was a good job. Again, great people. But I knew, and I remember that as well. I was, again, trying to in, instigate a little bit of change in the place. And, you know, the, <laughs> the boss was like, you should set something up yourself. I was like, damn, right. I really, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't know how or what. And, and so I think... I, the way I describe it is I was, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs would describe themselves like this, that you're like a caged animal in employment, even in the best employment, or you're like the intelligent uh, follower. So you're with a boss, but you're taking notes the whole time because you know at some stage you want to lead and you want to do something of your own. So that's what my experience was like of that bit. Wow, wow. And then how, how did you learn about coaching then? Because was it... Like you said, you were doing like your regular gig and locoming. Yes. So, did your regular gig remain as say doing occupational health, and then the locoming time was allocated towards doing coaching, or like had like what made you decide to do it that way? Do coaching rather than set up your own say occupational health practice? Yeah, yeah. So, when I was leaving the practice again, very serendipitous moment. I, I saw this email come in, and it said. Uh, the NHS Leadership Academy is offering coaching to GP partners. I thought, whoa, I'm, I'm a GP partner. I can, I, I'm, I'm going through difficulties right now because I knew I was about to leave and I was going through this whole dispute. And so I applied and I got the most amazing coach. Mm -hmm. And she was, so she helped me a lot through that resignation process. Um, my intention was never to resign when I joined with her, but then over time, you know, she helped, she was phenomenal. Her name was Jo. So when I left the practice, a year after I left, she texts me out the blue and says, you know, you loved coaching so much. Have you ever thought about becoming a coach? Now, at the same time as that, I was studying lifestyle medicine. And again, I'd started to learn with lifestyle medicine that behavioral change was really what I loved. I loved learning about habits and how people transform their identity, the process of it all. I loved asking questions. I loved deep listening to people forming a deep connection and so I went and did some health coaching training 
And then that led to high performance coaching with the High Performance Institute and to what I'm doing now, which is my own kind of brand of it all. Wow. So you're just like investing in yourself. So you're just learning yes. out of interest to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I had no intention to set up my own coaching business initially. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that this is going to be a great tool to help my patients. And then as I went deeper and deeper into it, you know, as you can tell the story, I'm always interested in the root. Yeah. And even when I was, you know, doing DJing and stuff back in my day at university, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was always like, okay, so that song was played by that DJ. What label was that? And then I would like go to the uh, root of the root. Same with cooking. I'm into cooking. It's the same thing. You, you kind of, then you see the patterns of it all. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, uh, I, I did that health coaching thing and then I started to get hooked on transforming people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, that's what led me to doing what, what I am now. Awesome. Did it ever feel like you were starting from scratch then? Or because of the transferable skills, essentially, you kind of had a leg up against anybody else who was going to the coaching without a medical background? Mm. I don't ever think I felt like I was starting from scratch because I was very comfortable talking to people because of general practice. However, coaching is very different. And so I one of the earliest mistakes I made in entrepreneurship in general is to what was that I didn't get a mentor who was doing exactly what I was doing early enough. And so I got a mentor, but it wasn't quite aligned. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that's, that's a really important thing for anyone in, in business or entrepreneurship is find someone who's got results of doing something that you want to do and then study them study what they learn, study how they do things, ideally have conversations with them. Um, So I I wasn't starting from scratch, but at the same time, I didn't understand. There's a big, with coaching, there's a low bar for entry. Anyone can set up and say they're a coach. And in in a way, that's a very positive thing. But in a way, it's not such a positive thing because it means that sometimes, and I was guilty of this, not anymore, we don't do the deep work Mm. It was a very serious business helping people transform. Uh, and so I, once I started to really do the deep work and take it seriously, my coaching went to new levels and the results went to new levels as well, which is... There's like a connection between like coaching and therapy to a degree. Yes. But I feel like not all coaches are able to go deep as what's required with therapy. Right. But then you can have some people who have our therapists that can maybe do a bit more in terms of culture. It may not be the high performance level, yeah. but they can yeah. help you with the more ingrained root cause. And I feel with your background as a medical doctor, it's a very unique perspective you can offer people because it's like your lived experience as well, as well yes. as everything you've studied for the last, what, 15 years or so. Yes. Um, yeah. Have you, have you used like say things in your medical world and applied it? As, lots, in culture? lots. Like, you know, body, mind, spirit, right? But what we find about people's potential, and I and I love to share a bit of, so this is how I do it. I share a lot of science because my natural inclination is I've always been deeply interested in the science of the body, the mind, and the spirit, all of it. And so that's how I would, uh, that's how I'd incorporate my medical background into it. Well, what we know from brain research is that, you know, our brains, if you like, in three segments, right? We've got reptilian, mammalian, prefrontal cortex, newest part of our brain. Now, people who are playing at their potential, Yemi, they are fully integrated. Left side, right side, front to back. And here's the really cool thing. 
You know what's coming, right? No, go on. Compassion does that. Ah. On the brain scan, compassion integrates your brain from the reptilian to the prefrontal cortex, from left to right. It's if I like to call it a bridge. And this is why I became so you know enamored with it, is I started to realize, oh my gosh, a lot of people think of compassion as just reducing suffering. And of course it does that. But it also helps you with mastery, helps you achieve your potential and well-being. And that's when I started to, to see you know, some super cool shifts. When I brought the wisdom of compassion mm -hmm. with the science of mastery and I joined them together. So that's how I, I use my background. That's awesome. And then where you, because you said you, had a, you found a mentor. Yeah. Was that also a practice that they applied or was that something completely new that you brought into it? It wasn't what they, what they applied. However, I observed how they found their niche mm. and I realized that that's essential and they were doing what's unique to them. Mm -hmm. And it's a great story. Again, my mentor was a patient of mine when I was a private GP. I shared with my mentor, who I'm still very close with, um, she coached me for a while. I shared with her, oh, I've got this whole coaching thing going on. And, and I, she was coaching Tesla, Santander, big corporates. And she, she started coaching me That's awesome. for next to nothing. And it's just, you know, people, there's, there's so many good people in the world like that. I mean, when you have a purpose and you have an intention and you put it out there into the world, things like that will happen for you. And then it's up to you to be uh, open enough to notice and receive it. That's the other thing. Mm. So, you know, she's, she's a, a very close connection still to this day and we support one another on our journeys. Yeah, that, that word that you mentioned, like purpose, because sometimes it's hard to even figure out what your purpose is, figure out like what you enjoy doing um, mm -hmm. or what you like. Like how, how would you suggest someone can help, can start their steps towards finding out what their purpose is? Yeah. Well, this is one of the subjects I absolutely love. I'm going to throw the question back at you <laughs> because you're actually someone who I've observed beautifully embody purpose. What do you think first? And then I'll fill in the gaps. Um, I think the first thing is Try and understand out of all your, the activities that you do, say from Monday to Sunday, yeah. what do you enjoy doing the most? Yeah. And let's just say, for example, that is um, going for a run mm -hmm. or going to the gym. Then when you think about going to the gym, break that down a step further. Is it the exercises? Is it a journey at the gym? Is it working out with somebody? Is it the feeling you have after the gym? Then it might go down to, okay, so they're speaking to people. Cool. How many other times in my week do I speak to people? How do I feel after that? Do I have the same feeling? Cool. Maybe there's something in there. What is in the conversation that I like about it is a specific thing. And then trying to find that, say, what it is that you enjoy about people and how you feel refueled from those conversations, whether it is offering advice, whether it is acts of service, something in that nature. And then I feel like you're then on like that small cusp or say kernel of whereby if someone can throw you into a completely new environment and they said, you need to do one thing that's going to help you thrive or swim, what's going to be? And you pick that as your superpower. I think that's how it is. Yeah, I loved your description of purpose. The reason why I loved it so much is because you focused on the emotions of whatever you're experiencing. And this is a huge part of my work and actually probably the biggest problem humanity faces is that we're not really taught to be emotionally intelligent mm. to really feel our emotions now i shared with you my story back then 
it was subtle. I was punching the desk. I was throwing things at the wall. Like that's because I had a lot of suppressed emotions. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't teach myself how to feel. So, you know, what's absolutely stunning. The other day I read that the heart has 40,000 neurons. So what's even more fascinating is that the heart directly communicates with the brain. And so, you know, sometimes say, I just feel it in my heart. Purpose is so much about this connection between head and heart. And you beautifully describe that. You, you know, you look at your schedule, which is essentially your schedule is what you value. Like Peter Drucker says, show me your calendar and your bank account. I'll tell you what you value. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Right. And then when you look at your schedule, you can pay attention to the things that you love and the things that you don't love. The other thing you mentioned, which was amazing, is energy. Some things make us feel energized. Like right now, I'm in my, I'm feel great. I'm energized. I'm in my element because we're talking about amazing things like purpose. Sometimes some people, some situations, they make you feel a bit drained, like I shared in my story. Pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. um, there is simple three steps. You know, your purpose is defined by three things. Self-awareness, knowing who you are and what you value. Number two is skill development. This is the bit a lot of people get wrong. I could talk about that more. And number three is service, contribution, who you're going to serve. Mm -hmm. So let's think about the first one is, is what you value. And you'll be able to find out what you value through your own past stories. This is essential that people understand this. There's no, there's no use just picking a, a word off a, off a website, you know, and just going, I value happiness. It's like, you know, why do you value happiness? Right? Like, I value compassion because of that patient complaint. Yeah. Once you do that, don't think you need to have it all figured out and have all the skills necessary for your purpose. The skill development is about what would you feel curious and interested to learn and develop? Like, I'm not the finished article, but I'm loving this journey. And that's this, it's so key that when you're on purpose, you're loving the journey. Mm -hmm. You're not waiting for results. You're not attached to the outcome. And then the last bit is just thinking in detail. Who do you love spending time with? Who do you love serving? Why do you love serving them? Yeah. I mean, on that, right? So you coach entrepreneurs. Yeah. And, and high performance individuals. Yeah. Where a lot of their work that they do in a day to day is about results. Right. So when you're asking them to be more focused on the journey, yeah. it's a bit counterintuitive. So, like, how do you bring them along to say no longer focus on just the results, but the actual journey? And even as a step before that, like, what is your process of being a coach? Like, what does it actually look like when you have to your clients? Okay, let me give you a, a, a good analogy. So when you're a kid, right, and your mum and dad get you in the car and they say, we're going to go on this four-hour journey, and the kid in the back is going, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there, <laughs> right? That's what most of us are like with our results journey. Yeah. But the mum and dad, they put it into the sat-nav and they know we're going to get there. We're on, on path. We're not on the path. If we're not on the path, our sat-nav will tell us. Our emotions are like our satellite navigation system. So... If you are feeling frustrated, impatient, annoyed, like I mentioned to you earlier, right? When I left my job, if I was going to be in that negative space when I left, I would never have had the good experience that I did that followed. Now, we know this from neuroscience, right? There's a, and psychology, there's a theory called broaden and build theory. So let's imagine, right? You had a problem to solve. And in the experiment, there's a candle 
a box of tacks and uh, and a little a box of matches and you're meant to attach the candle to the wall what they found in this experiment is that the people that were primed with positive emotions they were watching something funny or given a lollipop they figured out the problems much faster and more creatively than people who weren't primed with positive emotions and also people who experience negative emotions so to answer your question enjoying your moment right now is everything number one because you are able to solve more problems and guess what problems will always come and number two if you imagine your cup is full and someone knocks you over and a little bit falls out okay no problem but if your cup is empty then that's an issue and so this is what the science shows us that your, your results are only as a res, as a result of you enjoying the journey. It's a, it's a misnomer where people think success is it comes first and then happiness comes second. You know, we have studies of two hundred thousand people. It shows the complete opposite. Okay. Well. <laughs> so then, with your like, what does coaching look like? Say a typical session. Great. Yeah. Well, I I've I've changed this quite a bit recently. Um, so Leah, let me tell you a story about what it looks like. So it's usually in three parts. Now, because a lot of the work I do is helping people reveal their blind spots and what I call awaken true success. So awaken the parts within them that are already there. Like I'm not teaching them anything that they don't already know within themselves, accessing their own intuition. Now, this all sounds very esoteric and spiritual. I'm like, how, how do I access my own intuition? Well, here's the thing. You know, when you're asleep and you dream... And you hear some crazy thoughts and some crazy, sometimes great ideas. Why? Well, because your brain waves have slowed down. Your body is relaxed and you enter into a state, which is an altered state where you tap into some like infinite intelligence, amazing stuff. Well, the first part of my session is always focused on mind-body practices to get people into a calm state. And, you know, it's so, that, that alone is so powerful to watch. When I watch my clients come in, and, you know, at first they're reacting to their mum who's criticised them or they're reacting to a board member or they're reacting to a staff member. And then as they go through the process, they learn they're able to calm themselves, which means that they can solve problems much faster, much quicker. They're not ruminating and deliberating over stuff. So mind-body practices, and I use some ancient techniques, fuse the science in. Then the second bit is deep transformative coaching. And the only way to describe this is to say I help them see what they cannot see so imagine uh, you're being spoken to uh, you're you're being listened to but that person has heard your whole life story not only that but they're skilled in the science and of the mind and the spirit and so again I'll tell you a story yesterday I was working with a client they're an author an executive they've got multiple businesses amazing person but I know them they told me the whole life story and so they were sharing that uh, they, they, were, they were fearing the loss of an opportunity. So they, they didn't want to say no to something. They had, in fact, they had a great gig at a big tech company offered to them. And they were worried that if they asked for too much money, they'd lose the, the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so we spoke about this and we realized that I don't, I don't coach someone there. I coach them in the big picture. And so we realized that they had a pattern going on in their life where they were feared the loss of opportunities. Why? Well, their father used to say a statement to them. Opportunities never come around twice. Boom. So their paradigm 
in their head is, oh my gosh, I feel anxiety and fear and worry about this. But here's the cool thing, right? When you use deep transformative coaching, you can choose the way you want to see things. So the big line from Marshall Goldsmith, executive coach, what got you here won't get you there. Often the beliefs and patterns that we have were helpful to get us to where we are now. But to get to where you want to go needs a shift in thinking, beliefs and identity. And that's what we do in that bit. Interesting. Because <laughs> it's funny because I've had a coach before. Yeah. And um, we were working together for a while. And it was cool. It was cool. But then I felt we were on the subject of like limiting beliefs mm. and self-confidence, all the rest of yeah. it. But then we never done the work of going backwards and say understanding the root cause of say what some of my, my limited beliefs were yeah. at that time, right? Um, and so that's when I said, okay, maybe this isn't working for me. Let me go and do therapy. Mm. I done therapy for six months awesome experience because I was able to like deal with some of those things and the guy I was working with he helped me coach as well and gave me all like the techniques and the rest of it so I definitely do see the value of bringing that whole picture together mm. you know um, and the limiting beliefs thing is so interesting because no one really thinks about those beliefs no one really thinks about I think there's a book I can't remember what it's called and it talks about the brules like oh I love rules. it it's one of my favorites yeah yeah um, I wish I um Recap my memory yeah, around it's it. Yeah, book, A Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Yes. A big influence on me. Yeah, and it's like these made-up rules that we are telling ourselves that literally, that literally do not exist. Even sometimes when we're wondering or stopping ourselves from doing something, it's because we're thinking about what someone else might think about us. Absolutely. When in reality, we're not even the main character in their, in their own personality, in their mind. Like They won't remember what we do today in a couple of days' time. We're a bit part, they're the main character in their own reality. So it's about making sure that we do things that are in our own best interest mm. rather than in the interest of what other think people might think about you. Mm. Um, but it takes time to come over those, those beliefs. Like what do you do to help people kind of overcome, say, their limited beliefs and start seeing in a different paradigm? Love it, love it. Okay, well, there's three things that I do and I can go through them. I'm just going to tease you first. Okay, <laughs> so it's too easy if I just say it. First of all, we must understand what a belief is. And a belief is a persistent emotive thought that unknowingly you've bought, okay? So money doesn't grow on trees. Your dad says it to you when you're little. You feel an emotion about it. You buy it from your conscious mind into your subconscious mind. And then, you know, you grow, as you grow up and your, your kid asks you for some sweet in the shops and you say, money doesn't grow on trees. And you go, oh, I sound like my dad, right? And this happened, this happened to me. I, I, being a father, really opened my eyes to this. So belief is a persistent emotive thought. Now there's four ways we take on learning, okay? So when we come into the world, we come into the world with this, this pure perfection, with an image of perfection and, and, and joy. And of course, if our needs aren't met, we scream. Someone comes and attends to our needs. Right. The second way we learn is that we know that, let's say if you're a toddler and you're walking around and you, you go on the sofa, you walk off the sofa, you fall. You're like, okay, in this world, gravity exists. I've learned that there's certain, I, that's created certain beliefs about the world. The third way is you learn from society parents people around you you learn their beliefs their condition just like I, I i explained you decide at one stage i'll buy that or i won't buy that 
but here's the fourth one. And this is where I work with a lot of people and I encourage everyone to do this is we also learn through painful experiences. Like when I was at school, I'm giving an example, not of mine. When I'm at school, I decided to get up and sing for the first time. Everyone laughed at me. I loved singing. So the belief then comes in. It's not safe for me to express myself. It's not safe for me to be authentic. Uh, on the surface level, people might say, I'm not a good singer. But actually, there's a deeper th meaning to that. Was you were just being your authentic self, your natural self, and everyone's laughing. And so in that moment, you have to choose. Do I choose social acceptance? Which, by the way, is the strongest driver for human behavior. Or do I choose to ex be myself? So when you know these kind of levels of learning, then you can start to understand, right, how do I shift my beliefs? Three ways. Number one, this is the, the most basic way, which you hear a lot of people talk of, emotional repetition. So there's a great story about Napoleon Hill, one of the most famous writers. He went to meet the most rich man in the world, Andrew Carnegie, in the 1920s. And um, he got to spend, as a reporter, days living with Andrew Carnegie. Imagine this. This is like, he's in his 20s. He got three days with the most rich man in the world back then. And Andrew Carnegie had him, had Napoleon Hill look in the mirror and just repeat to himself a statement over and over again to shift his view on whether he could do this big research project, which turned into the biggest personal growth book of all time, 180 million copies sold. Just think about that for a minute. Second way you shift beliefs is through embodiment, okay? So you, you can ask yourself the question, if I already believed that I was abundant, what would I do to get what I want? If I already believed that I was an entrepreneur, what would I do to get what I want? You think about how you actually embody the, um, the person that you want to become. So you found your, your current limiting belief. You know that, let's say, you want to be an entrepreneur. They have a specific set of beliefs. You ask uh, about embodiment. And the last one is evidence. So three E's. Emotional repetition, evidence, and embodiment. Evidence is such a simple and easy way. So you, you might have a want to create a belief that, you know, I'm a good, uh, I'm good at public speaking. And then you start to look for evidence in your past that this has actually happened. Now, you don't try and trick yourself, but you think, Do you know, what? actually, I remember when I gave a presentation when I was 15, people said how good I was at speaking when I did a drama thing. And you literally journal out these things. So these are three simple ways, but I also have special audios I've created for free that anyone can access through my Instagram. It's called Shift My Beliefs, which draws on many of these principles, basically. That's awesome. It reminds me of um, the repetition one, the, I think, Brene Brown with the I am enough. Yeah. And saying that in the mirror, like again yes. and again and again, because even like for myself, I can have a tendency to overcompensate, you know, and I'll never forget when um, I was doing a negotiation with like at work, right? And um, I wrote my email, this and the other. And then my boss looked at it, he was like, no, 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 you're giving too much. Like, don't give them everything. Give them a little, see what happens. And then have that kind of give and go. Because don't give them the whole pie if you can give them like a quarter of the pie, for example. And so I gave them the quarter of the pie and it was fine. I would have given away three quarters for no exact reason. And bringing that to your personal life where people might think they have to be an expert to do something or um, need to read like a hundred books before they 
can start a business yeah. or need to, like you were saying, have a hundred thousand subscribers before launching a particular product. There's never a time when you're going to be enough. You kind of have to say, I am enough to yourself rather than giving yourself like all these different benchmarks that you have to hit exactly. before going on to the next stage. You, and the, you've described that so beautifully. Listen, if I was going to sum up my work, it, it's as follows. Most of my life and most people in the world spend their lives looking outwards to improve the way they feel inwards, right? They're going and getting money, status, awards. And I did all that stuff. And I, But the truth was it, I was doing that from a place of I'll get that and then I'll feel better inside. But what I do is help people go inwards to give outwards. And so the... The paradigm, so paradigm is like the, the core way you view the world. The paradigm that everyone really would be, it would be helpful to shift is this paradigm of I'll feel better when, or there's some place in the future where I will have more emotional well-being. Like now is your time for emotional well-being, right now in this moment, no matter what is around you. And I know this is hard for some people to hear. You might maybe, you know, have illness, someone may have died. I, I understand that. But now is the time because it's only when you train yourself to feel good in this moment can you fully be detached from any result. Yeah. And when you do that, then you can serve without fear. Because if, you know, attachment is about fear in the end of the day. So, yeah, I am enough. And Buddhist, Buddhist psychology would tell us that all negative emotion stems from a feeling of being separate, separate from your goals, separate from other people around you, feeling different, feeling judged, right? And this is so true. That's the core paradigm that needs to shift. We are all connected. Like, we are so connected. This has been proven in so many scientific studies. It's why depression can spread through populations as well as positive emotions can spread through populations. It's why the kindness, we know that if I'm kind to you, research tells us that that means you will go and be kind to five other people. Like, think about that for a minute. It's mind-blowing. And so when you do that, you no longer feel alone. And again, this is a core principle of compassion. I'll give you, I'll give you another example in practice, right? Um, I know someone who's setting up a business at the moment. And I, I saw them as like a friend of a friend who's really struggling to set up their business. And they continuously, the narrative in their head is like, why is this so hard? Why am I struggling with this? Not for one moment did they ever ask themselves, maybe somebody else also struggled with this and they figured it out and that person can help me. So when you have a compassionate mindset, you, you're, it's like a growth mindset. You feel, okay, I'm struggling with this, but surely there's someone out there who's also struggled with this and they can help me and I'd be willing to learn from them. And so I think that, that that approach is is essential and you can do that when you don't think you're different or not enough or when you realise we're actually we're all the same. Yeah, because you, you mentioned compassionate a lot. I've, I've counted this like 25 times. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a word that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. Right? Yeah. When I think of compassionate, I have Mother Teresa in my mind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um how, like, what are the common misconceptions when it comes to compassion, using that word compassionate, mm. especially in a coaching scenario? And how do you overcome those? Yeah. So the way I like to think of compassion is it's a bridge. 
is a bridge between your subconscious mind and your conscious mind, between your head and your heart, between negative emotions and positive emotions. Because in this universe we live in, there's good and bad, there's good and evil, there's all, it's the whole experience is there. And that's why compassion is necessary. The actual definition is it's showing an awareness of suffering and taking action to relieve that suffering. And this is the bit that most people miss. They think being compassionate means is sympathy what most people think being compassionate is or you just feel other people's emotions and your own emotions and you don't do anything about it one of the biggest misconceptions is being compassionate with yourself is sitting on the sofa and eating crisps all day <laughs> right but let's not forget compassion is the essence of mother uh, of a mother's energy you would not be here alive today if there was not someone who was compassionate with you because they saw you had needs as a baby. They cared for you. We activate in mammals what's called the mammalian caregiving system so that you could stay alive and do everything that you're doing today. So not one of us on this planet would be here if not for our compassionate brain wiring. What are the misconceptions? So one is that it's lazy. The other one is that it's unambitious. And again, what we find time and time again in the research, and I get excited about this, is that... Imagine if you beat yourself up every time you go and try to do something. Imagine if you're actually really harsh to yourself, like you're an idiot, you're never going to do it, or you need to work really, really hard because people are going to judge you. Well, you may succeed temporarily, but the truth is you'll feel burnt out. Why? When you have those thoughts, it releases neurochemicals in your brain like cortisol, stress hormone, noradrenaline and adrenaline. And over time, that will wear you down. That's what was going through with me when I was drained on a Friday. So it's not unambitious because it actually helps you be consistent in the long run because you're not beating yourself up. You're coming from a space of love and not fear. I could go on and I I won't. You want me to keep going? Okay. So we've got that it's it's unambitious. We've got that it's lazy. Another myth or or a misconception about compassion is that... um, you know, this is a really common one. This is, so those are about self-compassion, right? This one is about compassion with others. It's like, what if I'm compassionate with them and they're not compassionate back to me? But that's not compassion. You see, compassion is not about their reaction. It's only about your actions. Compassion is not about their reaction. It's about your own action. So it doesn't matter what they do. It's a matter, what matters is what you do. Exactly. It's in the joy of giving. And what we know from brain science is that literally compassion activates our joy and reward centers in our brain. Just the act of seeing that someone's going through something difficult and just deeply listening to them, that will activate your own joy centers. It's it's astounding. But what people are really talking about, and this is the hidden subconscious thing, is a lot of people have learned from a young age that my happiness is dependent on other people's happiness. So when your mum or a loved one complains, you immediately think, oh, I need to make them feel better. Why? Because your happiness is dependent on theirs. And so if they're not happy, I can't be happy. Again, it's a real misconception. The, the beautiful thing about compassion is you can go around doing deeds to help other people, but not attached to receiving it directly back from that person. And because you're more aware and present, what will then happen is the universe will send you other amazing things that are completely unrelated to that initial 
compassionate act and you think oh my gosh i'm actually quite a lucky person and that's happened to me a lot of times because <laughs> yeah, you mentioned like the universe and there's like affirmations and yeah. all the rest of it how truth truthful is all of that stuff ah so good i'm so glad you asked this you know i think especially because you're a science you've got a science yeah, background yeah well you know? it's interesting for me because i was very very logical very against spirituality in fact i remember my the first um book i bought so someone who i really looked up to is vision mm. and vision would talk about this book called conversations with god it made me cringe Jimmy. <laughs> i was like no i don't like any of that stuff but i was at that point in my growth where i thought i'm gonna listen to my mentors and even if it's a little uncomfortable i'm gonna do it i read that book and it was just mind-blowing the, the the clarity with which they described solutions to our everyday human problems i was like wow and then i started to look at the science and it all comes full circle if you go deep enough in the science spirituality will, will meet you'll meet that listen there's great studies about affirmations working 100 percent, but everything is about the state of mind you're in notice how when i spoke in my coaching session i don't dive straight into going into the beliefs we do the mind body stuff first because it doesn't work unless you're in the right state um, you will have heard things like um, LSD and magic mushrooms and people going through traumas and doing amazing work. Why? Because it gets you into an altered state of mind. So remember, you're, if I was going to sum up personal growth, if I was going to sum up transformation in two words, is presence and intention. Presence and intention, presence and intention. Presence gets you into an altered state. You actually slow down brainwaves you go from a beta brainwave waking state into alpha and even people will touch uh, theta, which between alpha and theta is a flow state. So we know this from, you can look it up. There's a lot of great sites on this. At that point, when you're in that state more then the intentions that you bring forth into the world, well, then your awareness is highly attuned to whatever it is that you're thinking about. Let me give you an example. So one thing if you want to call the word, I didn't use it, but if you want to say manifested, one thing I've been able to manifest a lot in my life is amazing connections. And I remember I was going to Mind Valley University in July of last year, and I was in a great state. I was very excited about the trip. Now, for months prior to that, I was listening to Marissa Peer in my ears, the emotional repetition for shifting my beliefs. And as I get on the plane, guess who's standing right in front of me? Don't tell me it's Marissa Peer. It's Marissa Peer. <laughs> Not only that, but my intuition pinged me so much so that I thought she, she was in the queue and she actually sat just in front of me wow. um, in, in the plane. So I, as I always do, I would put good energy out into the world. And she had had a bit of big effect on my life and feeling enough, just as you said. So I wrote her a, a little note, a handwritten note. We spoke for two hours on the plane. And then I went and met her husband and met various people and went to a house, etc. That only happened because I was in the right state of mind. And then that intention was there and I responded to that intention. Now, some people would say that's just luck. And I say, well, it's luck. And there's a great quote from Seneca. Luck is just when preparedness meets opportunity. And so your, your, your goal, whatever it is you're trying to achieve, get into that state, get into the presence, relax your body and mind, use compassion, whatever you like for that, and then know what you want and stay aware for whatever it is that comes to you. Amazing, amazing. Talking of being prepared, um, 
I want to talk a bit about your coaching business. Yes. So at what point did you decide to go full time with it? A year ago. And it's been a crazy year. A yeah. very good year. So because um, you were doing it like whilst you were working. Exactly. On the side. Yeah. When did you make the decision to go full time with it? How, how did you make that choice? Yeah, so it got to the stage when, again, the same telltale signs were there. Uh, I was going into my medical work, and the best way of me describing it is like, you know, if you're with the love of your life, you never think about your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what's happened with coaching, is that medicine was my ex-girlfriend. I, li- I liked it, but I was just so hooked, and I was so hooked to coaching and wanting to serve people. And so I made the decision about sort of February. It's actually really interesting. I read a book in January of 22, which said, what would you do differently if your father was dead? Now, being a coach, I love questions and I always practice on myself. I thought, whoa, and immediately I wrote three things in the book. I said, I'd do more writing. I would leave medicine. And the third one is I'd do a bit more poetry. (laughs) I did all those things. (laughs) And subsequently guess what my dad died three months after that Mm. yeah and so I remember going in and telling him just before I'm taking a year off medicine and anyone from an Asian background will know this you'll know that and I I mentioned this my dad wanted to be a doctor but he just looked me in the eye he said go for it son and I remember that so well because you know it was a real turning point of like I'm on the right path you know I I didn't need anyone's approval anymore and I was really following my purpose so it's been a, a, an amazing year, but probably the, the number two biggest lessons I've learned from this year, get a community. It is essential. It what do you is mean by so that? essential. So in the previous, if you want to transform, okay, so I was transforming from part-time coach to full-time coach. I needed to surround myself with full-time coaches. And so I joined a community of people all over the world and every day they're in my WhatsApps and I'm absorbing their, their thoughts, their energy, their intentions. I've formed great relationships with some of them. And without realizing it, it's so subtle, but without realizing it, that dramatically shifts the way you think. And the second thing is get a coach or a mentor. It's, it, it is just essential for me that once I saw somebody who had results, that the same kind of results I wanted to create, maybe they weren't doing it exactly in the same way. That doesn't matter. Once I did that and I properly committed to it, I got rid of the other stuff and I, and I really studied their work. So, for example, I read the same books that they read. I listened to the way I, whenever they said, you know, you should try this, I did it. How did, so you actually had a conversation with them? Like how did you, did yeah, you they, I mean, them? a lot of these amazing people out there, they have a list of their books that they've read online. Okay. Um, you know, and I did that when I did their courses and their videos. I, I didn't just do it once. I listened. I went back. I did the exercises, even though sometimes I was like, I don't want to do this. I did it because I thought, well, that's what this transformation is going to take. And as that happened, I started to work with clients in different Asia and America. And it's like, and I m- most importantly started to really enjoy what I was doing. And I, I coached all kinds of people because I focused on service, not on the, not on like, oh, when am I going to get paid? I was like, I focused on service. And everything followed after that. Yeah. How has that been like closing your first couple of clients as well? Because it's a shift um, from like being a doctor where you know what you're looking for when you come in. Yes. Yeah. When you're buying drugs or going yes, for your yeah, appointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas a coach, you're like kind of probing, telling them, I think you're gonna, you can hit level two, level three if you work with me. 
Yeah. It's like a change. Like, how do you go about um, closing your clients? Uh, well, first of all, I never use the word closing because it's, <laughs> it's it, the way I like to do things is service yeah. and it's opening a relationship. That's what I'm doing. You know, ultimately, the way if I've if I have served someone powerfully enough, they ask me, how do I work with you? And that's the way it is. It's not like some CD like, oh my gosh, I hope they like me. I hope they're not like, you know, I have to practice what I preach, which is that I know that I'm enough and my well-being exists without the clients. The other day I have my, one of my top clients who invests significant fees. And, you know, I, I, when I serve him, I serve him with complete no fear. That's what he pays me for. He pays me to mess with his thinking, yeah. to challenge the hell out of him. Always from a place of compassion and love. So the closing the first few clients, oh my gosh, the one of the, I mean, if I think now, I think the first client I closed was something like, oh, something, maybe 250 pounds or 500 pounds. I can't remember exactly. And, um, and I didn't serve her well. I didn't serve her well because I was too in my own head. I wasn't doing, I wasn't properly serving. Um, but when I, I remember, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Um, you know, I had, I had too many boundaries. I was like, Oh, um, you can only access me in these times. It's like now my clients is interesting. When I opened up to my clients and I really saw them for who they were as a person, um, when I'm working very deeply with someone, they have access to me. They very rarely use it, mm. but I, I let them know, like, I'm here for you in the good times and the bad times someone dies you want to defer whatever this like i'm here for you this is about you as a person like it's this very sacred deep thing but back then i i just viewed it as you know oh uh, you're gonna take my program and you're gonna improve and it wasn't quite the same um one of the best sort of stories i think of uh, opening a relationship was i and it all came down to the story one of the GPs I was working with knew that I was doing coaching and he referred me a patient of his to come and uh, come and experience a coaching session. So I went around to this person's office, sat on a sofa, two hours. They poured their heart out to me, domestic abuse, violence, traumas, etc. And we had this phenomenal, I mean, we just see their body relax, right? My body, their body relax because it's so rare. Someone just properly listens and at the end, they just said, you know, I, I, I'm, I must do this again. Like, how do I work with you? And I remember thinking it was the most um, effortless but fun way to serve somebody is yeah. just to deeply see them. Um, yeah. And that's what I still do to this day. I give people a long period of time and serve them and be completely detached. That's awesome. And can I just say, it's literally the life cycle you wanted where... GP after service. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally what is meant to happen. Yeah. And number one, that GP is going to feel way more fulfilled, especially if that, that patient comes in and says, oh, I had an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. That patient themselves, they're yeah. going to feel more fulfilled because they can see from a, free six, from a 360 yes. perspective, they're being serviced. And you being able to serve others and do what you're, you feel your calling is. Yeah. Like, I think that's amazing. I think that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so for you, like, what type of work have you had to undergo on yourself? It's a great... To get to where you are now. So much. <laughs> <laughs> and the work continues. Uh, now it's fun. So everything I recommend to my clients is work that I've done. Yeah. And so there's five main pillars to the, the way I, I... That's my, my method. 
and it's all based on the research. And we, we know there's a process for everything in this world. And we know what makes humans flourish. Huge amounts of data, positive emotions, flow, relationships, meaning or purpose and accomplishments. And so my work is based on those pillars. I call them slightly different things like compassionate mind, courageous purpose, calm energy, collaborative connections, creative flow. So for me to have that method, I went through my own deep learning and all that work and also the work with the High Performance Institute. But the bit that's really shifted in me is the deep identity work on beliefs and really about my self-image. Mm. And it's so subtle, right? Your self-image, you can notice it in your tendencies, the way that you speak to yourself when something goes wrong. You can notice it in your emotional experiences. Are you able to share anything? Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, like, uh, let me give you one example. So, oh, I'll give you a great example. So, and Marissa was one of the first people that brought this up to me, Marissa Pear. Uh, so I grew up and I, my brother was four years older than me and I loved him so much. Younger brother, big, like big brother uh, and not envy. Like I just really idolized him and looked up to him. And I remember, uh, and you blank a lot of these things out, right? I remember one memory of, I mean, I was probably annoying the hell out of him as younger brothers do, but I was chasing him upstairs and uh, he had a friend round and I really wanted to play with them and they shut the door and they locked me out of the, the room that I was playing with. And I remember just going and playing by myself and feeling really sad about that situation. And so what the belief that I had for a long time was that I'm insignificant, I'm not seen, I'm not heard. And when you, when you hear that, then that time when your partner doesn't text you back and you think, well, why aren't they, why aren't they texting me back? Why? Or the person, the, the client doesn't get back to you. Or when you hear that and you think, um, you know, you, you go to an event and everyone gets asked the question, you get, don't get asked the question, you think, well, what's wrong with me? Am I insignificant? Mm -hmm. You know what's amazing about the mind is that everything is malleable and changeable. And so although you can have some of these beliefs, like, am I worthy? Am I significant? Am I seen? Am I heard? They are changeable through the methods that, I, that I've done. And so... You know, I think that 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 deep inner work on my on my beliefs, on my identity, and my self image, and my energy as well. Mm -hmm. This is a this is a really really big one. And noticing, you know, what you do when you're in an energy dip, that has been huge for me. Like many people have tendencies to go and eat donuts and chocolates and cakes and sweets. I was one of those people. And when I'm in an energy dip, and it's because I hadn't learned to manage my energy. I hadn't learned that, you know, there are different ways for me to manage those experiences that are more conducive to me and those around me. And so that led to me having more self-discipline in these fasts and meditation, etc. Um, I could go on, but the deep work has, has been the most important. In fact, that's a, a, an important characteristic I look for in my clients. I say, you know, what I do is, is is deep transformative work. When you come out, you're not going to be the same person. Are you willing to do that? Some people aren't willing and that's okay. They're not for me. Yeah. That's awesome. So then I guess for somebody who is about to, or wants to start that journey of self-discovery, yeah, it sounds to me, it's a lot about really truly understanding yourself yes, and observing yourself for like a period of time and yes. taking note of certain things whether it be writing that down on your 
phone notes app or even a journal. Sure. Right? Yeah. Even journaling, I think that's quite very important, powerful. Right? Very powerful. Yeah. It's been huge for me. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to review your certain things because, um, so if someone's trying to start that journey, like, what are the, the first three steps that they should do? Great. Yeah, well, I actually have a method. It's called the ultimate journaling, uh, the ultimate journaling tool, three questions for ultimate journaling. And it's as simple as this, right? You ask three questions. When was I on the path today? When was I off the path today? And what am I going to do to stay on the path today? And your path feels like when you're aligned, when you're in that flow state, when you're feeling emotions of joy and love and appreciation, when you're inspired. And when you're off the path are the times when you don't feel that. The, when you're on the path is when your energy is in and you feel like you can, you know, you, you send that email that you've been putting up for weeks and you, you know, you have that difficult conversation. And when you're off the path, it's when you're not doing that. That alone is so simple. You do that and you really pay attention to what your actions are, what your words are, what your emotions are and what your thoughts are. Wow, that is that is basically as a great quote from Lao Tzu, which says, "Knowing others is wisdom; knowing yourself is enlightenment." Hmm. And so that's the journey we're all on. And by the way, I sit here doing these things every day still, like, and I still know that I'm, I'm continuously learning things about myself. And when I still judge, or here's another really big one actually, which has been a shift for me is um, so sometimes when you're not in a good energy you do things like eat crisps or scroll on social media or maybe drink alcohol take the edge off people say right what i want you to also do is pay attention to when you do this so just ask me how i am how are you i'm fine <laughs> like do you hear how the the way i said that yeah. the non-verbal was actually not i'm i'm fine and really pay attention to your non-verbal communication at uh, your posture how you the tone of your voice, um, yeah, how you show up in the world. When you do that, you, you'll realize that actually it's quite varied at different times with different people and you'll learn so much about yourself. And this is why I, I always talk about compassion. If you, if you do the energy of non-judgment and compassion, then you can do this self-evaluation without beating yourself up. You can look at yourself without hating yourself. Um, you know, that... That's everything. There's this big study, 30,000 people done a study through the BBC where they want to find out what's the root cause of mental illness. Yeah. Is it genetics? Is it biology? Is it your family history? None of that. Two things, self-blame and rumination overthinking. And these two, this is why I'm hanging These are two things that compassion treats. And so this is why I encourage everybody, self-blame and rumination in the same way positive talk and presence that creates flourishing yeah. so the same two things you work on no matter what you're doing it will have a phenomenal effect on your life awesome awesome so what's next for your practice wow well i have been enjoying serving these one-on-one -on -one clients i've got a little writing project going on which i haven't mentioned to you but it's up on my website it's called going inwards to give outwards nice so along the way, I've been able to interview some really amazing people um, who are going inwards and giving outwards, who are dedicating their life to serving others. So I am on a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not putting a time pressure on it. So I want to make sure I do a, a, the deep work on that. So I'm serving my one-on-ones. I got my community of compassionate entrepreneurs and I've got this uh, writing project as well. That's brilliant. I'm so happy to just see your growth. It's funny because... Um, 
I was just saying um, to Alvin earlier, like, I think this is the first time when I DM'd you, like, this month, in April last year, you know? Oh, wow. I think it might be literally one of these days. I'm going to double check it. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that I'll never so forget, um, Bobby went out for, for, for a drink for lunch or whatever. That was lovely. Yeah, convert. it was really good. And um, But it, what always struck with me is you gave me a gift and uh, I hadn't even met you. And I've, that was such a powerful statement, I feel, um, when you start a relationship with anybody like or a friendship, whatever, it's like, there's nothing, I don't need anything from you, but like, here, take it. And it's I just beautiful. thought I was, that's always kind of stuck oh, in my mind. I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah. I got a card in the bag that I hadn't given to you. <laughs> so thank you for reminding me because I would have forgotten. All it's all good. There's a power of reciprocity, they call it, right? Reciprocity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right, cool. So I've got two questions yeah. left for you. Quick fire. Quick fire. If I gave you an extra day in a week, how would you spend it? Meditating. For the whole day? damn right <laughs> why is that oh my gosh because it's so freaking awesome when yeah. you go deep enough it's like the most blissful thing you can ever imagine you i, I i've learned over the years to meditate in different ways and recently i've learned to meditate on a mantra and that takes me to states of bliss that is just beautiful yeah so i mean I'd meditate, I'd walk in nature, I would just be, mm. be is what I would do. That's awesome. Um, what's the one book that you've gifted to people the most? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this because <laughs> I've literally gifted this book, I would say over 20, maybe even 30 times. I can see it on my Amazon, it says Seven Laws of Spiritual Success by Deepak Chopra. Where's, where's that? What's the special about that? Oh, it's difficult to put into words. I, I still read that book. I must have read that book over 10 times. It's about 100 pages long. The clarity, the wisdom, the poetic nature of it. And he was a medical doctor and he's writing about success. So he's quite aligned to me as well. And he talks about Vedic wisdom, talks about detachment, talks about intentions and desires, talks about oneness, how you're connected. It's just, it's magical. And everyone who, who reads it, you know, they... And for a while, I was scared to gift it because I was like, oh, I hadn't come out of the spiritual closet. <laughs> I was like a closet into spirituality. Um, but, you know, Deepak just been on Stephen Bartlett's podcast. Mm. You know, he's a huge the thing. The work he's done is truly, truly exceptional. Yeah, even me, I need to go look into that one now. <laughs> yeah, it's a cracker. really yeah. is. Awesome. Um, so where can people find you? DrSakgru.com. D-R-S-A-T-G-U-R-U.com. Brand new website, so I'm keen to get that one in. And I'm mainly on Instagram and LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I genuinely love talking to people, so please do reach out, send me a message, and I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Dr. Satguru, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.